St. Anne's Orthodox Church presents In Heaven and on Earth, recordings of the classes, talks, and retreats given by Father Daniel Greeson, priest at St. Anne's Orthodox Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Here is Father Daniel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts, O Master, who loves mankind with pure light of thy divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of your gospel teachings, and plant also in us the fear of your blessed commandments that trampling down all carnal desires we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto you. For you are the illumination of our souls and bodies of Christ our God, and unto you do we ascribe glory together with your Father, who is from everlasting, and your all-holy good and life-creating spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. So as you know... Uh, I have been recording these, and a good number of them are up uh, on the podcast now. Uh, Ign the Ignatius class finally had its second class because life happens and Sundays did not work out, parish council, being sick, etc. Uh, tonight we're starting with our fifth class on the Divine Liturgy, and I've actually updated the syllabus so that I can make myself have to, like, be disciplined like this is how many classes we're doing and if it doesn't happen this time around then it doesn't happen uh, so we're going to do 12 classes all together we're now in the fifth uh, tonight so if you look at the syllabus it's actually been updated on the website uh, not that you probably you don't really need it it just helps to if people are coming for the first time for example uh, or for myself <laughs> to keep myself on task uh, but I feel like we, I wanted to lay some of the groundwork we had before going uh, into uh, the liturgy. And I also want to make sure that everybody, you know, I have a typed out basic outline of what I want to do. And I want to cover these things. But if you have questions, uh, this isn't about me getting through my outline. <laughs> this is about you. If you have questions, uh, feel free to ask. Um, so what we're going to be doing this week uh, is the antiphons uh, and a small entrance. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to start uh, with what I'm calling entering the throne room of God. We're going to talk about the Theotokos and the saints and just kind of do a little digression because uh, as you encounter the Divine Liturgy or if you've encountered in Vespers this evening, uh, at the end of every single litany, we bring up the Theotokos, uh, we bring up the saints, uh, the saints will have hymns all about them. So I want to kind of give a basic kind of excursus or theology of to why do we talk about them as much as we do. Um, then we'll just basically be tracking through uh, trying to keep the theme of the kingdom as we go through the rest of the divine liturgy. So if you want to look at that, you're welcome to look at that. Um, we ended the end of our last class uh, with the great litany, but we ran out of, we didn't run out of steam. We could have steamed ahead, but we ran out of time uh, with the great litany. So I wanted to ask if there was anyone who had any questions about, uh, for example, I don't think we got to, sorry, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of this PDF, but it's what I, the easiest thing I have. Um, I don't think we got to the city, seasonable weather, travelers by land, I figure that you all basically understand. There's no phrases here that are confusing. Uh, uh, one of the themes uh, that I wanted to draw out about the Great Litany was basically 
being co-workers of God in the Great Litany, we are bringing all of uh, creation, starting with ourselves and then kind of going from the top of the hierarchy of you know, our church to kind of, if you want to say, the hierarchy of the world, of the civil authorities, down to the earth, uh, and then all those who are um, s- suffering. You know, we pray for the deliverance from all those who are afflicted. We pray for deliverance from wrath, danger, and necessity. Uh, does anyone want to guess what necessity, or maybe not guess, maybe you know necessity? Why would you pray for deliverance from necessity? What does that mean? Poverty. Poverty? Eating. Eating? Yeah. Ed, yes. bless us with your fountain of wisdom. I would have said what you need. What you need? Yes. Do you want to be freed from what you need? What you want to receive? So I think this is how I have interpreted it. And in all the commentaries I've read, I've not really come across anything that has said much about it, and that might be my own oversight. Um, but I feel like it, ha- it flows naturally from affliction, wrath, danger. Necessity, I think, is when you have to do things out of necessity. Uh, the church has, well, I don't mean that in a kind of simple way of like, life is necessary, right? <laughs> you gotta get up out of bed, brush your teeth, etc. Uh, But I think situations of necessity, for example, uh, go to war. Uh, It might be feel incumbent that it's a necessity, right, Uh, to defend yourself, to uh, do things that, uh, because all the other, you know, you're asking for deliverance from affliction or wrath, maybe your own wrath, the wrath of others, danger, and the necessity. I think there's something there about... uh, doing things that might be necessary, but they're not necessarily the best thing uh, in front of you. So you want to be delivered from having to get into that, you know, stuck in a corner uh, and having to do something out of necessity. That's how I've typically understood it. Uh, If I find something that has better uh, understanding, I will share it with you. Mark, do you have any light on necessity? Oh, that's why I stopped the pause. (laughs) That line it's not every day somebody says, how's your necessities going? Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, so it might even, maybe deliverance from necessity in the sense of like, from, uh, now I'm going to, a song, bare necessities. Like, you know, just, you need something more than just the necessities. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly. I will take a look at that closer and see if I can find something. After the Great Litany, what do we have? The first antiphon. And you might have noticed in your first experience of the Orthodox Church something that after you've been Orthodox for a while, maybe grown up in the Orthodox Church, and maybe if you've maybe gone to another service somewhere else, uh, suddenly you realize the Orthodox don't seem to ever do a few things. We never seem to stop. Uh, I don't mean length of time. (laughs) I mean, there's not very many times in the service where there's like silence. The only times I can really think of are like, I'm having to open up uh, uh, the in uh, in order to prepare myself, the iliton over the antimensian in order to prepare myself to do like, to go out for the sermon. And there's like a little bit of silence. 
Other than that, is there any times that you can really think of silence in the Orthodox Church? No intermissions. There's no intermissions. And the, in the Roman Mass, you have a lot of places where there's even dedicated times of silence. Uh, and I think there's a lot of Protestant churches that will, you know, plug uh, silence or there's just... They don't feel the necessity. In the Orthodox Church, sometimes it feels like we will sing the Trubic Hymn as many times as we possibly need to or extend it as long as we possibly need to in order to cover the movement of the clergy and the altar boys. Um, so this is this fascinating uh, thing where Orthodox, not only do we never stop and have silence, but we, we sing everything. Or we at least intone it, right? There's very few places uh, and even when we do things like when we get to the consecration, we, we kind of even atone a little bit there. Uh, I tend to drop it down to even kind of a little bit, but not a, a, a note or two. But you basically, there's no place where all of a sudden you hear the priest just talking. Priest communion, we keep the same. Yeah, there's no, there's no silence. <laughs> uh, what do you all make of that? Was that something that you've, thought about or is it something that just like well that's just the way the orthodox do it I thought about it one of the times that I really thought about it was after I had been in a church of Christ service <laughs> yes uh-huh, church uh, of Christ yeah yeah which you're getting right yeah uh, <laughs> um, and, and uh, a church that my sister went to and um, when it was over I just, I, really, I just had this sense of, is that it? <laughs> and and that's, that's when a lot of things just occurred to me that, about how the Orthodox Church service literally just, just comprehensive. Yes. That, that, is one, that was the, the last class I shared, how the first time I ever went to a liturgical service was actually in an Episcopal church. This was 13, 14, 15 years ago or something. Uh, and I actually, like, we actually hit on all the things instead of, like, what the five or six guys that got called on to lead prayers who basically said all the same prayers uh, that they've memorized and they've said day in, day out since they got, since they're, like, 17 and got called to go up in front of the church. Uh, the prayers of the church actually allow us to pray for just about everything so that we actually hit everything. Um, we, part of the reason why I think Orthodox worship sings everything uh, there's nothing like song uh, do you remember conversations better than you remember like jingles and songs you remember songs way better I bet you can remember because I can still remember like little ditties on the radio or um, like serial like jingles and stuff because uh, they're made to be like earworms to get into your head uh, orthodox worship is some, as you can tell, even in the, the prayer that we read right before we started, uh, for you are the illumination of our souls and bodies. Singing is something that unites, and the fathers actually do talk about uh, singing, about singing psalmody especially, that it unites our, uh, our entire self because it requires uh, our entire body, right? There's something about speaking that can kind of be abstract a little bit, uh, you can even think, if you go back and forth between hearing even certain Southerners 
speak and the way that they can kind of like even the way that they can kind of talk <coughs> sounds like a song and then you can get others where it's like this gutter you know I'm thinking more of New York here <laughs> uh, you just get this like gun sh you know fire type and like the difference like one is and you would use the metaphor like sweet melodious uh, you know body to it and then the other is sharp pointed and so there's something we, when we hear words, especially when we uh, sing them, uh, I'll find myself randomly throughout the week, just kind of, and my kids especially, uh, they will just start singing parts of, you know, singing the triumphant hymn, shouting, proclaiming, and so, you know, they just start like doing these things because they get ingrained in you. Uh, and I think the church knows that um, and wants us, uh, and I think it's incumbent upon us and it takes time, but to actually learn the hymns of the church, uh, because the hymns of the church, as I was just talking about with Dionysius, uh, they allow us to embody, even, you know, we just had the cross uh, a few weeks ago, and we prostrate before the cross, and we sing about before your cross, we bow down, and we don't just sing it in like, in my heart, I'm bowing down. No, you physically bow down. Uh, so the singing is something uh, that we understand to be kind of fully embodied doxology. It's not purely mental. Uh, and this covers so many aspects of, of Orthodox piety. We kiss things a lot. Uh, we do a lot of prostrations. Our bodies get used a lot. Uh, we fast because we discipline our bodies in the same way that Paul talks about disciplining his body. Um, this uh, feeds not only kind of that inner, like, uh, and if you have this idea, you probably need to get rid of it. Like there's a little guy inside your head driving things around because that's not really a good way to think about uh, human um, anthropology of what, who we are. Uh, but we're fully embodied. Uh, our souls uh, dwell within this body. Uh, and we sing every, even to something like the creed. Most churches, if they have a creedal statements, do they sing them? There's no, they just read them, right? Even some Orthodox. Culture. Yes, so Greek churches do. We we always I always say yeah, but the Greeks do X, Y, and Z. So in our tradition, <laughs> some of the Greeks have organs. That will go away with time, Lord willing. Uh, that brings up another point about instruments in the church, and that just hearing is not enough. You've got to have something with words to it. And I don't know if that's why, but that 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 range where they say just saying, no, we sing it. Instrument, no, we, we want you to just an instrument, you can put whatever word you want to an instrument. So, so you know what's fascinating? Part of the reason why we don't have instruments, at least in my understanding, is uh, you can read it in St. Basil. Uh, Basil does, uh, is very against the use of instruments, generally, maybe even in the lives of Christians, if I'm remembering correctly, because instruments... Uh, well, think about a different Dionysius than Dionysius we're commemorating right now. Uh, the god of uh, the Bacchanalia, wine uh, parties, right? Where do the instruments come out? At the temple with the temple prostitutes. So Basil was very much against using, uh, and even he was against using too much polyphony of multiple singers singing multiple parts uh, because he thought it was too much. Um, we obviously, the church 
has done that. And the use of things like organs in the church is like a 19th, it's a very new thing. And in most parishes that I know that there are even organs, most of the folks who are the most attached to it are the ones who grew up with it, and everybody else could care less. So it'll get phased out. Unless you're in particular places. So, um, singing is, um, well, there's just, there's nothing like singing where you're actually able to express yourself, uh, and be able to remember things. Um, yeah, there's, I have a quote, but I don't have the book, but, uh, this, all of this singing is especially, uh, even doing your prayers, you know, it's helpful. You might not think it's singing, but, um, the way that we intone reading like the hour before Vespers or when we read uh, the Psalms uh, during the services, we typically intone them, which is kind of like da 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 You know, there's some kind, not a discernible melody, but there's something with some notes, at least two or three notes. And I have, and I don't know if I'm ever gonna break it, just the same way like every time I do an exclamation, I fall into the same pattern every single time, even when I'm, thinking don't do the same pattern I still do the same pattern uh, uh, with my like the Trisagion prayers I have a particular cadence that I do that it's just and my kids are going to pick it up and probably like my household is going to have this cadence that we do and I think that's good that means you have those words wrapped up in you and they, they come to you in ways uh, that when you just memorize things well if we memorize anything anymore. Uh, it helps with memorization since it's so hard to memorize things these days. Um, so let's actually go ahead and hit uh, the antiphons where we are singing. And Mark, uh, yeah. if I remember correctly, we do, this is what we sing, correct? Yeah. There are times, so does anyone know where this comes from? Yes. If, if in doubt, say it comes from a psalm. <laughs> because our scripture, so Psalm 102, Psalm 103, I can't, I think it's Psalm 102 in the Septuagint. Uh, do you all know the, why there's confusion about the psalms in the Orthodox Church? There's a number differently. There's, there's a number difference between the Hebrew um, uh, Masoretic text that most, if you're going to go to Barnes and Noble and pick up a Bible, it's going to have that, unless you get the Orthodox Study Bible. Um, which you should be able to order through Barnes & Noble, but uh, we have some copies here. Uh, and then the Septuagint, which is the Greek uh, Psalter, has a different numbering system and even has at least one extra psalm, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I think they usually tack on the prayer of Manasseh at the end. Uh, 151. Uh, that's in 151, yes. Um, it's somewhere around Psalm 9 that they into yes, there there's ones that they the Greek uh, Bible I think they just separate them differently. Uh, it comes together around one forty six or somewhere. Something like that. You're you're showing more depth here than I know. I just know there's differences. Uh, part of the problem is like when you when you try to talk about a topic like this, it's immediately the eyes just start glazing over. Like okay, facts, whatever. <laughs> uh, so the the important thing you need to know is just if you pick up a Protestant uh, Psalter, it's fine to use that, uh, there are things that the Orthodox liturgy will uh, use in the Septuagint version that are clear that they're like messianic and things like that. Uh, or you'll, um, you'll miss some of the language because the Septuagint has a little bit of different uh, 
uh, ring to it. Father, but, I, yes. I think the important though of understanding that is when you talk to your Protestant friends and all that, because if you say Psalm 50, there's Psalm 50, right. really 51 and all that, so you're not on the same Psalms. are like, what was he talking about? Or if you're, or, yeah, oh, that's that's if you're reading important. an Orthodox book and it says Psalm such and such, most of the time the English-speaking world uh, and most like modern uh, Orthodox books, they will put next to it, like, and tell you at the beginning of the book the numbering, yeah. which, what they're following. But so the first antiphon that we sing is uh, an edited version of Psalm 103. Historically, um, the antiphons changed. I believe the antiphons changed uh, about the 14th century or something like that. Uh, so the Russian tradition, we do this, and the Greek tradition does something different. Uh, we're not in the Greek tradition, so we're not going to talk about what the Greeks do. Uh, but if you go to St. George, they do something different. On our special feast, I think that's what they do. They do something right. So, so what the okay? So what the Greeks basically do is they will take Psalm 93, 92, sorry, uh, for the first antiphon, and they even cut it shorter than this. And they'll say, I'm using this as an example: "Bless Lord, O my soul; blessed art Thou, O Lord." And then they go, "Save us, O Son of God, who is risen yeah. from the dead." Then they'll say, uh, "The Lord is compassionate, merciful, long-suffering, and of great goodness." Uh, save us the son of God who is risen from the dead they, and they'll do these refrains in between so they're doing something they've edited down even further so this is already an edited version of Psalm 103 uh, it's kind of the great highlights of Psalm 103 um, if you look at Psalm 103 I, gra I printed it out just in case uh, but I don't think I'm going to have time because uh, what's great actually about Psalm 103 that you don't necessarily get in the edited down version um, is that Psalm 103 uh, covers, in a way, what we were covering at the beginning of the class with, of going over the Old Testament, for example. So, uh, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel. Um, the entire psalm has uh, the theme of God as not only the creator, uh, but the one who uh, preserves, uh, heals, comes down, um, uh, he's, he's not just a distant creator, he's somebody who's actually involved with his people. Uh, and what the liturgy presumes, and it's something that I actually talked about in a class uh, on Ignatius, uh, the liturgy presumes that you know the psalm. So it's kind of an echo, like it, you should read the entire psalm or know uh, the entire psalm. And it's something that you know, I suggest as uh, something to do, possibly as a way to prepare for liturgy, uh, is to read Psalm 103 and contemplate the words that are in Psalm 103. Uh, because the first antiphon, uh, like I said, is the highlights of it. Um, Could be a real long service if we sang the whole thing. <laughs> yes, or you do it really fast. Cause I've, been, um, I've been in a where they do the whole thing and they just, they clip. Um, yeah. So you, you'll notice this too, uh, in different services, uh, certain sections of the service. So if you like went to Mount Athos, for example, and the Great Litany, uh, they'll go, you know, uh, they'll do the da -da 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 litany, and then you hear to cure you, they thom, uh, uh, to cure you, or uh, sorry, kiri leison, kiri leison. They just they don't even sing it. But then they get to the antiphon, and then it's just like, you're gonna, we're going to be hanging out for a while because we're going to sing the antiphon. Then you get back to the litany, and it's just like, bam, 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 bam. 
and then you sing, uh, and then the true became the last like 20 minutes. Uh, I don't know what they're doing that takes that long, but they take that long. Um, and this actually uh, about singing that's fascinating. If there, I have I have a recording, and it's a, it's a tradition in, in monastic circles, uh, mostly because they do take longer than we do. Uh, maybe it's about the same because what happens they 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 go so fast through certain sections and they get the true hymn, and they will do uh, in their hymnody kind of reflecting um, what I was talking about with apophatic theology. They will start off and they're singing the true hymn. And then they will go into what they call this, it's called Terry Rim, which is where they are doing this, uh, they're singing Terry Rim, and they're doing all of these fascinating melodies with this word, and it's a nonsense word. Uh, and it's kind of like they're, I don't want to say like Goo Goo Gaga, but they think Terry Rim, this is a tradition, is what the mother of God like sang to Jesus when he was in his crib. What's Terry Rim? It's a nonsense word. Oh, okay. But they, what they're doing, they're, they, they think it is a word uh, that is tied to like tradition, but it's also something that allows them to kind of soar in, their, in the singing, because it's usually, a, it's this kind of like great operatic thing that's in this time where you're supposed to be laying aside all earthly cares and ascending to heaven. So they do this kind of word that you're allowed to just kind of, I can, if you want to see it sometime, I can find it and show it to you. But it's this fascinating thing where they, in their own singing, they're embodying, you know, reaching out beyond even our, you know, our normal language into something else to, to reach out to God. Um, what happens uh, during the first antiphon is the priest, uh, I'm trying to find it here and it's before. The priest actually during this time has, sorry, uh, there it is has a prayer that is done that you don't typically hear. Some churches do read it out loud. Historically, the priest did read it out loud. Uh, and it's usually what happened Why I started going silently is because most churches stopped, uh, just didn't have deacons. So the priest, how is the priest supposed to, because uh, this happens, is read silently during the little litany. So how does the priest do the little litany do a prayer silently with any kind of attention, and then end uh, with the exclamation, uh, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Uh, so what basically happened over the tradition is that the priest reads this while the antiphon is being sung uh, silently so then that he can do the little litany. Um, so this is uh, the prayer of the first antiphon. Uh, o Lord our God, thy power is beyond compare. Your glory cannot be understood. Your mercy cannot be measured. Your love cannot be expressed. Look down on us and on your holy house with pity, O Master, and impart the riches of your mercy and your compassion to us and to those who pray with us. You can already see here uh, an element of the priest as uh, a kind of mediating who prays on behalf of uh, the congregation down at the bottom and to those who pray with us. Um, what's fascinating in this prayer, it doesn't show in the English, but... Uh, all of these, the, God's might, his power that's beyond compare, his glory that cannot be understood, his mercy that's beyond measure, all of those words, um, incomparable, incomprehensible, immeasurable, uh, unutterable, these are all uh, expressed uh, apophatically, right? 
they're expressed in a way, there's no way to talk about these things. Uh, and they all use the alpha privative in the Greek. So you have, uh, I'm going to totally butcher this, uh, anakiston akata leptos uh, ametraton, my Greek friends are laughing at me right now, uh, aphatos. You have all these a, 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 a before all of them. Uh, we have this at the beginning of the anaphora when we hit the anaphora, you know, you're uh, incomprehensible, you know, God, you are God beyond all things, and yet you're looking down on us and you're imparting your mercy and your compassion to us. What happens after the first antiphon? Little litanies. Little litanies, you can tell, these are, there's kind of components of the liturgy that you start discerning. Little litany is one of those little components right we stick in at different uh parts and it's always this um this structure uh this is in the, the prayer of the antiphon uh the second antiphon but i want us to pause real quick what happens often and you maybe have a question during the antiphons where the priest is suddenly gone he's not standing in front of the altar go to the table of preference He's going to the table of preparation. What is he doing when the priest disappears? So if it's just like one of us, and it's not, if it's the second priest, the second priest will go uh, and start. But do you, do, do you know what he's doing at that time? He is going over. There is, if you've ever noticed when you walk into St. Anne's on the right side on a Sunday morning, uh, there's this little uh, tray with these little breads on it, and they have seals on them. And it can be, there's all sorts of different seals. Um, uh, what is then put with all these little loaves, because these are kind of little mini loaves or the same loaves that we use to prepare the Eucharist, but they're kind of mini ones. Uh, you put names to commemorate those who are living, who need prayer, uh, and those who have died, who need prayer. So you put them with uh, little bread and they go in behind the altar um, and the priest will take out uh, uh, particles for the names. We typically do two for the living and for the departed uh, because we tend to have a lot of uh, names and so it's hard to keep up with that. Uh, but that is, if you're going to a Greek church and you look for that, you won't find it uh, as a, a Russian practice to commemorate the living and the dead so that then they're all put on uh, the chalice together to be remembered at the Eucharist. So that is why the priest suddenly disappears. If you've ever wondered, what is he doing? Like sitting down? Is he like catching his breath? Uh, that's what he's doing when he goes over to the side. Does anyone have any questions? The second antiphon is Psalm 146. Uh, and it is the Psalm of God as kind of a caretaker. Um, It is then uh, punctuated, uh, or it ends, uh, and if you notice in the Orthodox Church, uh, hymns are always, that when you get to the end of something, it's always glory to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, then there's a hymn, and then it's now and ever and unto ages of ages, amen, then there's a hymn. Uh, you know that you've come to the end of Lord I have called, uh, like at Vespers, when, when you hear that glory, right, that's when, like at Great Vespers, the doors will open, you know that you're about to get to the end of that section of the litany. Um, but after the now and ever, we have uh, something that's not a psalm. 
Uh, only begotten Son, in immortal word of God, who for our salvation willed to be incarnate of the holy Theotokos and ever Virgin Mary, who without change became man and was crucified, who is one of the Holy Trinity, glorified with the Father and the Holy Spirit, O Christ our God, trampling down death by death, save us. Does anyone know where this comes from? It is composed by a Roman emperor, Justinian, in the 6th century. Uh, what is the basic point of this hymn? I'll give you, it's at the very end. Save us. So it's fascinating. So you get only begotten son and mortal word of God, and you get uh, clarifying clauses to who this is. Uh, you get, uh, you'll notice this a lot if, if you were to sit down and study uh, the liturgy where they'll say things and then you get like comma, da da da, -da comma, da da da, -da. And it, by the time you're down here in the third or fourth comma, you're like, what are we talking about? And they usually, uh, oh, God the Father, okay. Um, <laughs> Because in the Greek, you can hear all of the, the endings referring back to the, and they can put the, it, it doesn't work like English at all. Um, so this is, uh, what does this look structurally like? Creed. A creed, it sure does. Uh, what are the two basic points of it? I think there's two basic points. It's a meditation on the Son of God, right? It's all about the Logos. You could say, uh, I think the two clauses, uh, you, could, you can make it more than just the two clauses, right? Already saying, only begotten Son and immortal word of God, you're already making quite a statement about who Jesus Christ is with that. Uh, but you say, for who for our salvation? Uh, so there's a reason why he became incarnate, and he became incarnate of the Holy Theotokos. So there's already, this is, that was a dogmatic debate that happened in the 4th, 5th uh, century. So in the 6th century, this is already pretty clear uh, to call the Theotokos, Mary the Theotokos. Um, does everyone remember, know what Theotokos means? I know I, at one point in a homily, <laughs> I asked, freaked all the little kids out. Uh, God-bearer. God-bearer, the one who gave birth to God. Uh, and then, who without change? So in him becoming a man... He was still remained God, uh, and he was crucified. He is one of the Holy Trinity, so one of the Holy Trinity, the Son, namely, is the one who became man and was crucified. So the Father and the Spirit did not become a man. And there, the Christ is glorified in the same glory of the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he uh, tramples down death by death. I, I just love the phrase that he trampled down death by death, that he overthrows uh, death and the dominion of death by his own death um, that he fills uh, the darkness with the light that he goes to the ultimate depth for us to bring us back out of that um, especially as you've already sung the first and second antiphon and at the end of this very clear statement about who is the one who's going to save us uh, you get this fascinating uh, thing here right you're getting kind of salvation history you get Psalm 103 and Psalm 146, you're talking about God the Creator, the God who's visited Moses, uh, the God who uh, takes care of um, uh, those who have actually put their trust in him. Uh, I mean, you can almost summarize uh, most of Israel's fall from Psalm 146. They put their trust in princes and sons of men, uh, thinking that was going to save them instead of God. 
and idols, turning to, you know, and not following after God. Yes, you got a question? Oh, uh, the phrase death, trampling down death by death, <clears throat> I was just wondering, like, you know, in the earliest, because it's not, like, specifically scriptural, is it? You know, that phrase? Uh, I don't know in the, the early. So it might actually be even like uh, Mileto of Sardis or some of the early because like his Paschal uh, sermon ha does a whole lot in regard like um, uh, a kind of almost like a Christian midrash on the Old Testament mm -hmm. uh, and interpreting all through yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, I have to go back. It even sounds like I'm so used to it, and it, yeah. it rings so much of like how the fathers think that it's hard. For, that is a good question, though, of like where yeah, exactly that phrase. I don't think it's in the Bible, but it's heavily based on things in the Bible, especially First Corinthians 15. You don't yeah. find that phrase, but like the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death is swallowed up by victory. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, like yeah. It's, is it sort of like uh, Saint John Chrysostom's like famous. Like, uh, that's a, the Paschal homily. Yeah. So uh, possibly see it in the baptism the epistle of Paul in putting off death. It's kind of referring. Uh -huh. along well, I mean, so it's like right. So you don't get this exact phrase, yeah. but yeah, it's oh, obvious in Paul and yeah. in you know the in God. Hebrews Hebrews chapter two um, through death he might destroy him who had the power the, of the death. dominion of death. Yeah. 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 So. It might yeah. be a gloss of that. Yeah. It's just great question. No, that that makes because at a certain point you're just kind of like, yeah, trample down death by death. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, David, actually, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, David Drillick gave in one of the I went to a choir director thing he put on, and he goes into a lot of, and I don't remember half of it, and that's what's left of a much more that it was at one time. Oh, I bet. Uh, uh, and, and it's, that's what survived, and the rest. I'd be curious what the rest was. Well, so almost every part of the liturgy that we talk, especially after this, there has been controversy. When we, when we get to the Trisagion, uh, part of this uh, this uh, language of Justinian of who is one of the Holy Trinity, glorified as the Father and the Holy Spirit, uh, that he was the one, uh, that one of the Trinity was uh, crucified. Uh, if I remember correctly, the Trisagion used to have uh, different language. Mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't just Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal. Um, it was uh, something like Holy One, like Holy Crucified. I can't remember the exact, but there was there's a controversy exactly because uh, you'll have commentary that'll say Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Immortal is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yeah, I remember uh, in uh, Saint John of Damascus, his exact exposition of the Orthodox faith. He criticizes a Neophyte or Monophysite named Peter the Fuller because he he, he, he accused him of lesser. editing the the Trisagion by adding the words, who was crucified for us. And then he said, that's totally wrong because holy God is the Father, holy mighty is the Son, holy immortal is the Spirit. Thank you, so that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. crucified if you do that. Yeah. But you, uh, uh, a lot of those things, is it not just like, they're trying to make a Christological point, so they put stuff in certain places, you know? And not, not when you're, some it has to do with early heresies where they really, they, yeah. they really did want so you get the, this kind of uh, tension, and I want to hit after we do the, the liturgy to do a little bit of kind of survey of church history so we can kind of hit some of these high points about Christology uh, and Trinitarian stuff. Again, I'm gonna do high points. I'm not gonna get into the weeds. Uh, they're great weeds, but 
They don't translate very well unless you want to like, unless we're going to have like a graduate level seminar on, you know, and get out the Greek. Uh, uh, but yeah, you what you'll get is uh, these tensions where people want to get a certain truth across, uh, and so Docetists they they want to preserve that God is God, and the the mindset of God like he can't be he can't have this. This dies. How could God have flesh? It's just completely against anything of a Greek concept of God. Um, and then you, so you have that tension, that like temptation over there, and then you have a temptation of basically like, well, God emptied himself so completely, he just he just became a man, and then kind of like grew back, or like you have a man who grows up into God, or like, uh, I mean, this is a lot of like liberal German theology in the past two hundred years, where they're basically like. Jesus was a really great guy, and he got the God spirit, and then, like, we kind of worship him as, you know, God, but, like, he really was just, I mean, he, it's just kind of like and then Arian teacher. Yeah. And stuff. And it. they usually end up Arian, or, you know. The, some of these historical Christological debates and things are perennial temptations. They just change the kind of, like, intellectual framework, and now it looks cooler, and it had, you know, wears a suit and tie, and, but it's still the same old. Thank God it wasn't a neuro suit. I knew. <laughs> the uh, prayer of the second antiphon. Uh, o Lord our God, who saved your people, bless your inheritance, preserve the fullness of your church, sanctify those who love the beauty of your house, glorify them in return by your divine power, and forsake us not who put our hope in you. What was the first one, silent one that you did? <coughs> the, the prayer of the first antiphon? Yeah. How, how, it differed from that. Oh, yeah. It's the, each one is different. This is all kind of apophatic language. It's about uh, God's power, glory, mercy, love, and then showering that on us. And then the next one is more about uh, saving your people and your inheritance. Who is his inheritance? Us. Why are we the inheritance of God? Those in the church. Go, Jeff. Do it. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, like Christ is the first fruits. Right. Christ is the first fruits, and we're following. So we are the inheritance, right? We are uh, the ones who stand to inherit uh, all of the promises of God, right? We're the ones uh, that He has redeemed from the world. Uh, this is the language that He used about Israel, and then this is the exact language then about the church, because we're the new Israel. Preserve, what do you think the fullness of your church is? You could just say, just orthodoxy. <laughs> just like, yeah, what I, is the right teaching? I, right? I, I think you can go that route, like preserving right teaching, uh, preserving those who, because we're all struggling, and there's always a kind of, uh, uh, every church there's kind of like, an inner committed core who's there and then some people take a few steps back and then some just kind of fall uh, and then you're like where has that person been for six months uh, so I think there's definitely preserve the fullness of your church preserve it in sanctity of its truth uh, but also uh, preserve like everyone that's within this so that we maintain what we have it's kind of like in the great litany where we're praying for um uh, the unity of all for everyone within the church. <coughs> I love also sanctify those who love the beauty of your house, 
glorify them in return by your divine power and forsake us not to put our hope in you. What is the third antiphon? Here's a trick question. There is one. You just... Gotcha, see? <laughs> oh, that was oh I know that better as the Beatitudes. Uh, right, so it's the third antiphon. Uh, if we are, I think Mark mentioned this, I want to make it a little more explicit. In great feasts uh, for our Lord and for the Theotokos, these um, antiphons will have festal uh psalms attached to it and verses and things like that. So if you come to a great feast and you're thinking, why are they singing something differently? That's why. Actually, uh, for the Theotokos, they don't. But oh, you're right. For the, and, and like Vladika, Dimitri, one time asked about the presentation on, on is it for Christ or is it for the Theotokos? And, and I lean more, it, it, I think it's split in a way, but it leans more to the Theotokos because you don't there's no antiphons. You don't just do, and the prokemenons magnify my soul. So I think it points more, because she's having to carry, she carries him in. Yep, yep. I'm sure he, as a child, he could have flown there on his own. You know, he would have ruined the whole image, you know, <laughs> of needing help as a child. So I'll give you, so we're coming up on, uh, well, the next great feast of our Lord is Nativity. Uh, uh, so like the first antiphon, I will give praise I will give praise to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will make all your wonders known through the prayers of the Theotokos, O Savior, save us. Uh, and the assembly of the upright and the congregation, this is all Psalm 9. Uh, so that's what you have. Psalm 9, Psalm 111, and the second antiphon, Psalm 109. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Um, the, so you already, you get Old Testament, Old Testament, and then you get the Beatitudes. And at the, the Beatitudes, what happens when we start singing the Beatitudes? Because this whole time, what has been shut? The doors, the royal doors, right? Uh, at the beginning of the Beatitudes, uh, the doors open. Why are the doors opening? Hmm? It's the entrance to heaven. It's the entrance to heaven, because we're about to make an entrance. It's really practical, partly because we're about to make an entrance. With the, uh, gifts, with the gifts that we're going to offer. Uh, nope, great entrance. We're not, right, right, right. No, right. no the, gifts The yet. Bible's coming. Right, the gospel. the gospel book. So, remember I told you historically, I'm not going to talk about history because i got three or four minutes, uh, <laughs> but I told you in the past, the little entrance was the beginning of the service historically because uh, they would have gone around to uh, different churches at the time, if they had a church, the nativity, then they would do Christmas in that particular church, and they would start somewhere else and process out and sing the antiphons as they go there. Uh, you still see this in the hierarchical service, right? The bishop stands outside until the small entrance. Um, but what you have in the Beatitudes is this, because uh, you're getting all kingdom things in the antiphons, and the Beatitudes, uh, you can kind of almost see it as like an anthem about what it is to live uh, in the kingdom, right? And it begins with, in your kingdom, remember us, O Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Why does it start with that? Where does that come from? Thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. Mm -hmm. what? what is that? Why is that here? Can't do it. Do it, Jeff. Well, 
know, he was totally humble. I mean, he uh -huh. left his marriage. Yes. Jeff has said, because I am recording and you're pretty far away, that the thief on the cross possessed uh, poverty in spirit. He was mourning. He was meek. He'll inherit the earth. He is hungry and thirsting after righteousness, even though he had not much time left. He was merciful. Uh, he's pure in heart because he sees God hanging next to him. Uh, he is a peacemaker. <laughs> he's going after the other one. Like, what is wrong with you, man? <laughs> uh, you're dying, and you're still like, wow. Uh, and um, not about persecuted there, but. There's a sense in which the other one reviles Well, him. he is on a cross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that, like, he wasn't being persecuted for righteousness. Either, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, the other one is reviling him. Yeah. But when Jesus gives the lesson, though, the thing yes. in it, Turn does he mouth. use that first sentence? About no, he him? doesn't. Because it hasn't happened yet. That was added after the crucifixion? Correct. Well, okay. It's also the fact that with the entrance... I mean, even just the idea of an entrance, right? It even feels like something is going on, right? The doors are opening. The altar boys are trying to get into order <laughs> up at the high place, right? There's candles out. Everybody's got a candle or something. Uh, and the priest starts making vows. We usually start at uh, meek. That's the word. But, uh, you, you can start noticing that. Uh, we start doing the prostrate. You know, every time a priest uh, uh, leaves the altar... He will kiss the altar. If he comes into the altar, so the practice is to kiss the altar. You never walk away from the altar as if you're just kind of like uh, humby humby ho. Like when you're standing in front of the altar, uh, you reverence uh, what the altar holds and what, um, as you know, a kind of uh, you can say the throne room or access to God. So the, the priest and the, the uh, altar servers or all the clergy uh, process outside. Uh, and then what, um, there's a prayer. We're going to finish at least this prayer. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Uh, this is the prayer of the third antiphon, um, which is basically a prayer. Uh, I'm going to read it for the sake of those if somebody's driving in a car listening to this so that they can at least know what the prayer is. Uh, for the third antiphon, before uh, we have the entrance, you have, O you who have given us grace with one accord to make our common supplications unto you, and promise that wherever two or three are gathered together in your name, you would grant our requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, the petitions of your servants as may be expedient for them, granting us in this world the knowledge of your truth, and in the world to come, <coughs> life everlasting. There is then a prayer that is said at, while the entrance is happening. There's a nice little picture. Sorry, this book is odd. It has it in a, I'm just going to read it out of here. The prayer that the priest is usually um, kind of muttering under his breath. So if you ever see me coming out of the altar and you can see my lips kind of moving a little bit, I'm not talking to myself, uh, but I'm saying under my breath uh, this prayer. And to get it absolutely right, I'm going to read it out of the book because I have it basically memorized, maybe like a word or two that I invert to myself. But uh, a master, Lord, our God, who has appointed in heaven orders and hosts of angels and archangels for the service of your glory, Grant that with our entrance there may be an entrance of holy angels, 
serving with us and glorifying your goodness. For unto you are due all glory, honor, and worship to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. If there, I, I went full apathetic on you with that. There's <laughs> nothing on the screen. Uh, when you get, so the priest comes out, and before he is standing like this picture uh, with the gospel book upright, uh, you might notice that, so we're, hopefully, God will have a deacon uh, at the beginning of this next upcoming year. The deacon will be the one that would have brought out the book, uh, the gospel book, uh, and he then says, bless master the entrance, uh, and then the priest will say, blessed is the entrance of your saints, always now and ever into ages of ages, making the sign of the cross. Um, that is what the priest is basically kind of saying. You can probably see his lips moving, but there's usually singing going on, so you don't hear him. Uh, and then he uh, raises up the gospel book, and what does he say? We have two kind of variations that we say here, depending on where our minds go. Wisdom. Wisdom. Let us attend or stand upright is usually what I say. The, the reason why they've changed our books, now they say stand upright instead of let us attend, because stand upright is technically closer to the Greek, because the Greek will say Sophia Orthi. So you can think of Orthi, Orthodontist, Orthodoxy, because it's like kind of straight, stand up. Uh, it's basically, hello, wake up, <laughs> something is happening. Uh, Some of us need braces, I think. <laughs> to stand up. Uh, this is, you have this whole movement of, uh, as Father Alexander Schmemann likes to talk about, the kind of, um, we're entering into the kingdom. We've already uh, started our ascent, right, with the, the blessed is the kingdom of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've recounted the ways in which he's interacted with Israel. We've encountered the ways in which uh, uh, we have confessed Jesus as Lord already uh, with this uh, hymn from Just, uh, Justinian. Um, and now with the Beatitudes, we're talking about, uh, and even at the beginning of uh, the third antiphon, with in your kingdom, remember us, O Lord, when you come into your kingdom, we're already starting, then the doors are opening, and you have this real feeling and movement of um, moving into the kingdom. Uh, and the wisdom, let us attend uh, or stand upright. Uh, and then the hymn that follows, uh, come let us worship and fall down before Christ. And you'll get different wording depending on which, which day of the week it is. Um, uh, so, for example, on Sunday, you're, you're used to hearing, O Son of God, who art risen from the dead, save us who sing to you, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. So there's, there's this, uh, the doors have opened. We're kind of like processing into um, the throne room now, in a sense. And the, the liturgy will continually kind of push us uh, further in. The gifts eventually will come out with the great entrance. Uh, but this whole section right here, you can tell, is heavy on scripture. The whole service is heavy on scripture, but this is much more didactic. Um, it's more focused on kind of salvation history. And uh, once we get to this point, we'll then have, uh, there's one um, silent prayer that's done, and there's hymns to the saints uh, for the resurrection, whatever the feast is, uh, et cetera, that happens after this. But we're gonna talk about that aspect Next time, is there any questions? I'd like to say on, on that moment, I mean, we've had the honor of, of having hierarchical liturgy. Uh -huh. And the first number one was Archbishop Dimitri, and the priests are all singing that, and it's kind of a wild moment. But uh, 
So he's been standing there all dressed with his miter and all that. And I just felt like, and he's up on a raised platform. And so when they would start singing Come Let Us Worship, I always felt the church, with, when he was doing it, was starting to sway. And there was like the waters were coming up and picking up the ark. And they were floating in to the royal well, gate. Especially because he has these flames. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Hickory so and as he does that, come, so if you have a hierarchical service, the, uh, the gospel book is, so if you have a deacon and a priest serving, the, the deacon presents the gospel book for the priest to, to venerate, and then he turns. Well, if you have a bishop, of course, the priests get basically ignored because the bishop is there, uh, as it should be. Uh, he is the, the chief high priest, basically, and the deacon brings the gospel book to him. He venerates it, and then he turns, uh, and typically you'll have the fans over it just like an entrance, but it's in the middle of the church now. And you have, if you have another deacon, he'll be sensing the gospel. And so what the bishop does when he has his decree and trickery, um, weird words, but uh, two candles and three candles, he will then, as we're saying, oh, come, let us worship and fall down before Christ. He is blessing the gospel book. And they turn around, and then he's blessing everyone with the, with the candles. Uh, and then he's there basically, as the gospel book goes up, he will then be escorted in when there's a sensing. So, and it's very, I don't know. As you said, it's it's Things it's a high good. point of the hierarchy of liturgy because you have all the clergy the the clergy are singing all together, and actually our deanery has pretty good voices, so we're not that bad. I've been somewhere just like okay, let's get through this <laughs> 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 quicker, uh, and then the choir comes over the top of it, and it's just there's never um, there's not this linearness that you get with so many worship services. Orthodoxy is always kind of like layer, and they don't mind having like two or three layers going on. <laughs> Especially when you see the hierarchy of liturgy, you will see the liturgy as, in it's kind of, I don't want to say pristine form, but it's kind of, it's like fullness and like where you can tell where if the bishop was here, we would be doing this, but we don't. Because it's, 